There is a stop-motion animated television classic from 1964. If you were alive in 1964, just raise your hand so I can embarrass you. I was not. (laughs) Very good. I don't know if you know this film. You probably have seen it. I don't know if you have, but it's called Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. If you remember, Rudolph was born with an obvious issue, really a, a cultural problem. He had a glowing red nose. His parents tried to hide it, uh, but there was really no hiding it. He was found out, he was mocked, expelled, no longer allowed to play any reindeer games. And he decides to remedy the problem by running away. And if you remember, he ran away with an elf named Hermie. And Hermie um, was like Rudolph, an outsider. He didn't really want to make toys. He wanted to become a, a dentist, which is really commendable. I had some dentists in the church building. They, were, they gave me a standing ovation, right? I mean, this is great. But they both consider themselves a couple of misfits. They don't fit in. They're different from the rest. And by the way, who decides the test of what is really best? We're a couple of misfits. And I wonder if this morning you can kind of relate. And you watch this film probably every Christmas, and you, you wonder, like, the island of misfit toys, and here you have Rudolph and Hermie and You know, you wonder how many kids growing up feel exactly this way, ever felt like a misfit. Truth be told, I think being an outsider is a reality that most of us have experienced at least one time or another, perhaps especially when it comes, sadly, to the church. We may at some point in our lives, or even perhaps even this morning, feel like we just don't belong well, in our passage this morning, this is an account of what happens when Jesus meets an outsider like that. So if you look at me with verse 21, notice how Matthew speaks of this woman. She is Canaanite. She is a woman. She's from the area of Tyre and Sidon. And in Jesus' culture, it was completely unacceptable, right, for a rabbi, a religious teacher, to speak to a woman much less a Canaanite woman. She is much like the Samaritan woman. They were ancestral enemies of the Jewish people. She is the epitome of what it means to be an outsider. And so we notice verse 26, she's met with silence. She overhears rejection. Now to cap it all off, it looks like Jesus comes right out with a direct insult. It's not right to take the children's bread, throw it to the the dogs. Hardly the most seeker-sensitive approach that we see out of our Savior. So the question is, what's happening? What, What do we make of this woman? What do we make of Jesus' response? Well, I want you to see three qualities of her mega faith. The Greek word for great there in your English text is the root word for mega. And so this is mega faith that we see on display for all of us this morning 
in application. So three qualities. Here's number one. Her faith is, number one, properly directed. It is properly directed. In order for faith to be sensible, logical, you have to put it in the right object, right? A chair that will hold you up, that won't break. You're, you're putting faith in a chair right now as you, as you sit there, right? She cried unto, verse 22, who? Who is it she's crying unto? Jesus Christ. Great faith always has the right object. And she is turning from her faith in false gods and idols and hopeless deities into the right object. She's coming to Jesus. She was coming to the only one who could help her. And not only does her faith have a quality of being properly directed, but secondly, her faith is repentant. Notice again verse 22, she cried unto him saying, have what? Have mercy on me. Notice she is not saying, I'm here, Jesus, to tell you what I deserve, what my rights are. So I'm going to rub you like a genie in a lamp, and you better give me what's mine. Notice she doesn't also say, my daughter is in great distress. This isn't fair. Now, this is what she's saying. I'm here in spite of the fact that I don't deserve anything. That's what she's saying. Have mercy on me. There's no worthiness here. David, right, this is David's cry in Psalm 51 that we hear so many times. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, according to what? Your loving kindness and your tender mercies. Have mercy upon me. This woman is the antithesis of the ugly spiritual pride of the Pharisees and the scribes. So, she's faith is properly directed, it is repentant. Third quality that must be noted is her faith is persistent. This is what I think is so amazing about this woman, at least as I see it. Her faith is persistent. She begs for mercy, and what does Jesus do? This is where it becomes perplexing. <laughs> he doesn't do anything. He absolutely is silent. It's deafening. Did he care? Yes, he cared. Does he have compassion? Yes, Jesus is full of compassion. So the question is, what in the world is he doing why doesn't he say something? Well, I think this is why. Jesus has had enough of shallowness. He's had enough of superficiality. He's had enough of people who come to him, get what they want, and then what? They leave. He's seen all this way too much in Galilee. 
Jesus had enough of all this. And there was enough shallow soil, enough weedy ground. And so I believe that he wanted to strengthen. He's testing. He is pulling this woman's faith to its full flower. And so what he does is he puts barriers through which she must now persist to show, to show the reality of her true faith. And so Jesus finally responds, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus is challenging the categories of who's in and who's out and what's clean and what's defiled. And I think what Jesus is actually doing is saying to those in earshot, is it possible that a Canaanite woman may be, in turn, be out to, in the end, a lost sheep in Israel's house after all? He goes on in verse 26, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Right? This was how the Pharisees thought, how the disciples thought, wasn't it? Grace is just for us, just for them. For those who outwardly conform, everyone else, they don't deserve the same treatment. They are dogs. And so our response to this rhetoric would be what? <laughs> I think most of us in here would do a 180 and leave. But this is what's amazing about this woman. Her, she steps up and she responds amazingly by saying, if I'm a dog, I still belong in the master's house. And even the dogs, what? Eat the crumbs from the master's table. I think what she's saying is, I'm not an outsider at all. I'm not an outsider at all. I belong in the house. He did come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but her response, this Canaanite woman demonstrates what the disciples miss and the Pharisees deny, and she has discovered, hasn't she? She has discovered that we come to belong to God's people, not on the basis of our ethnicity or our religious rituals, but based entirely on the response of your heart to the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so this outsider Canaanite woman is actually an insider after all. In a real sense, she is a lost sheep on whom Jesus has come for. And so her faith is properly directed. Her faith is repentant. Her faith is persistent. And in these three qualities, they bear the fruit of her cry, don't they? She has, grown, she has seen great mercy by Jesus, but notice, we can't miss this, why was she there in the first place? She had a daughter, and her daughter was severely demonized, oppressed. And her cry is not only the mercy upon her soul, but to have mercy upon her daughter. While in Honduras two weeks ago, the team that was there heard these cries of desperation from a father. 
have a young boy that goes with us. Uh, his name's Ryan. He's from Mount Pleasant. His dad's Matt. He goes from, they, they kind of just gathered with us on this team to go to Honduras. It was their third year. This was my third year. And Ryan is uh, 12 years old. He's just a year older than my son. He's allergic to everything under the sun. He's just one of these types of kids. We're sitting at the breakfast table on Wednesday morning, and all of a sudden, Ryan has an all-out, full-blown seizure. And um, Jackson Reed is sitting next to him, and Olivia is sitting at the table, and my daughter's sitting next to me, and then it's me. And all of a sudden, we, we just all at the table know that something's not right with Ryan. I jump up from the table, I get his father's attention, who's just a table over, and I just, I just kind of like, Matt, there's something wrong with Ryan. He takes one look at Ryan, he bolts upstairs into the room to grab two EpiPens. And he comes down, and I'm holding Ryan, right? We're, he's got cereal in his mouth, we're trying to clear his airway, we're trying to get everything out of his mouth so he can breathe. And he's just having this seizure at the table. I'm holding him. And his dad comes down with two EpiPens, and he starts to obviously take the cap off of one EpiPen, jabs it into his leg, and nothing happens. <laughs> and I'm just, we're all just sitting here watching this unfold. And all of a sudden, Matt's terror from his son having a seizure because he's probably allergic to something, needing an EpiPen, all of a sudden his terror comes to I've completely forgot how to use an EpiPen. And so he's filling with this EpiPen, trying to get it into Ryan's leg. And all of a sudden, in a matter of seconds, Ryan just starts to go limp. And, and while this is happening, Matt is just crying out to all of us, somebody help me, just over and over. And I'm thinking... This 12-year-old boy is going to die in my arms at the breakfast table in Honduras. And finally, he remembers to take this blue cap off an EpiPen. So those of you that are familiar with EpiPens, you got to take the bottom off, and then there's this blue cap, press it, and you go, and, and he gets it. And all of a sudden, Ryan just kind of starts coming out of the seizure. And, I, and we're just... You know, of course, we, you know, they rush him to the hospital. And, and to make a long story short, Ryan's alive today, and he's down in Mount Pleasant, and he's doing great. And, and that night, he was, it's like nothing ever happened. But being a father of an 11-year-old son who is almost the same age as Ryan, I was, I was absolutely just haunted by Matt's cries for help and mercy. And as parents, we want our children to be vibrant, and we want them to be healthy. But as I thought this week to myself, I wondered, do I have the same Christ to God for their spiritual well-being in their hearts? Do we fall to our knees and cry out to God to change their hearts? And I want you to know this morning that our hearts cry here at St. Paul's is to come along Side you as parents. This is Faith at Home Sunday. And so we want you to know that our hearts cry here at St. Paul's is 
to love your children, to fall on our knees and pray for the children and the students here at St. Paul's and your family, that they would know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And you may be here this morning sitting through this message from God's Word thinking that God is directly speaking to me. Maybe as a father, maybe as a mother. You may feel what it's like to not belong. But the message of this passage is faith in Jesus changes all of that in very important ways. It takes us from the margins and it moves us into the very heart of God's kingdom. It adopts us into His family. It wins for us acceptance with God and membership into His church. When you put all of your hope in Jesus alone, evil's power and pollution is overthrown in your heart and you are translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of God's love. And you move from being an outsider to being a true insider. From an exile into being a citizen, from a stranger to a member of a household. And you come to belong. And the question this morning is, don't you want to belong? And so if you don't, you're sitting here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I pray that today is the day of salvation. Here's the last thing I'll say in closing, because this is the word that was given to me this morning from Matthew, was maybe I'm not that woman in this text, and maybe I'm not Jesus in this text, but maybe I'm more like the Pharisees and the disciples who just want this woman to just go away. Maybe, maybe we here at St. Paul's meet others that are on the outside with cold indifference. Maybe we're not as welcoming as we think that we are. And so my prayer this morning is that if, as we move forward in the months ahead here at St. Paul's, that our hearts and our hands and our feet would become more like Jesus. And that we would grab outsiders that may not look like us, and may not have the same color of skin as us, and we would embrace them. And we would want them to know that Jesus loves them and that Jesus died for them mm -hmm. just as much as he's died for us. Amen. We pray that God would be glorified through this message in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.